You guys, welcome to episode 85 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known and more importantly, not so well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It's me, Troy McKeady. How is it going? It's been two weeks since I've seen you. I am back. I don't know if I'm better than ever, but I'm definitely back. I'm here. I'm in physical form. Um, <clears throat> last week was a goddamn nightmare. Not only did I get sick, which I, I'm I'm pretty sure I'm just going to have to get my tonsils taken out. Because I just don't think it's this normal. I don't think it's normal at 30 years old to have this many issues with my voice or my throat. And I know that I like make jokes about how I'm always like talking and like I talk for a long time doing this podcast, but this is this is an hour a week. It's not like I'm doing this every day. You know what I mean? So there's something definitely wrong. But besides that, I ordered. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know that I ordered Chinese to watch the Oscars. I got so excited. I was like ready to force myself to cry for Gaga and like not really mean it. And uh, I got food poisoning. Like literally, I I will not go into detail about what uh, about what transpired, but honey, I had a big storm coming. Let's just say that, okay? Let's just say I learned things about my body that I was maybe not meant to learn. Things it could do that I didn't know, um, functions it could perform that I didn't I I, I didn't know that, that anybody any human body could. Um, it was it was a travesty. I, so now I'm like. I'm going to the grocery store tomorrow. I'm doing a full cleanse. Uh, I, I only want to eat things that can grow from the ground. Like, I'm fully ready to, like, green out and just, like, clean all, all of the toxins out of my body. Because I think right now I am just toxic sludge. Like, I'm an Alex Mack puddle of, like, radiation of just toxic sludge. Like, it's not safe for anybody to, to be near me. Um... But neither here nor there, I'm really, 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 I don't know if excited is the word for today's episode. You saw the title. You know what we're talking about today. Um, I don't know if excited is the word. Uh, I'm, I'm more fired up, I guess. Uh, obviously, you know, we're going to be talking today about Mandy Moore and Ryan Adams. And, um, you know, I'm always honest with you guys about when <laughs> I'm discussing somebody that I consider to be a blind spot. And Ryan Adams was very much that for me. Like, of course, I know who Ryan Adams is, and I know, um, I know a few of his songs. But like, I'm not, I'm not like a really big Ryan Adams head. I never have been. Um, believe it or not, I don't love alt country. Um, I've just, you know, he's always just been like a guy that I know that's really important to music and that people respect really intensely. Um, but after doing this episode, I'm like, this man is the most like egotistical neurotic um obsessive just just a gross weird little uh little shit with a proclivity towards anger and rage and and brattiness and cattiness and and and, and pouting and just self-importance i mean he's just the most narcissistic little fucker I've, I've ever come across like I, I don't know if i've ever experienced anything like this as far as research he's a really confusing individual i don't think that i have him figured out i really don't like i i think that i may have only just scratched the surface of ryan adams and i think that 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 was enough for me i don't want to go any deeper into his i just i don't i'm not i'm not a fan 
And especially now, you know how I feel about anybody who wrongs Mandy Moore. You know how triggered I am by the mere mention of her name. You guys know how I feel about Mandy. I love her. I champion her. I ride for her. I defend her. And I'm, I'm just here for her. And um, obviously, we're doing this episode because last month, an article, a New York Times article was released about um, some abuse some abuse allegations from Ryan Adams from a handful of women who kind of, you know, band together and decided it's unfair for this man to have this effect on us, including Mandy Moore and including a girl who, uh, during the time of the alleged abuse was 14. So we're going to get into all of it. I'm going to break down as much of it as I can. And hopefully we leave this having some better understanding of what is wrong with this fucking psychopath guy. Um, and yeah, I haven't talked about Mandy in a long time. It's been about a year. And uh, I'm excited. I'm excited to delve into that portion of this, but I'm also like nervous and I'm shredding lightly because I just want to. This is like such a fresh news story. Like it literally came out last month. And I just want to make sure that I cover everything appropriately. And uh, I don't want to screw up anybody's claims or anything. So I'm going to do my best to make sense of all this stuff for you. I missed you, by the way. I missed, I, I'm, I'm really amped up because I have a lot to say and I'm just like excited to get back into the swing of things. I've got a really, really good, good cup of tea in front of me right now. It's like, it's a Christmas blend, but hey, who has to know, right? It doesn't have to know that it's, uh, that it's, uh, not Christmas. It's fine. Anyway, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Mandy Moore and Ryan Adams started dating in uh, late 2007, and they got engaged in February of 2009. Um, they were separated officially in March of the same year, and they separated in August of 2014. Their divorce became final in June of 2016. Um, Ryan staunchly denied that he was dating Mandy Moore at the beginning, and he went as far as to attack you know, all these media outlets for printing quote lies um he sort of announced their breakup and relationship at the same time in an article that we'll get to of course and um he sort of blamed mandy moore's level of fame as the reason that they broke up of course nothing to do with him you'll learn very quickly that ryan adams doesn't like to take any sort of accountability for anything he's ever done wrong according to him the, he's made no mistakes so far in life how lucky um Ryan and Mandy were also very fiercely private about their relationship. They're one of the, they were one of those couples. And it's because of him. I mean, he, they were just um, in, private to the point that it created more of a spectacle around them. You know, one of those couples. You know, he would shut down interviews where they asked him about her. And, um, I mean, he was just, he was very protective in a way that was, like, almost kind of confusing to people about this relationship and uh in fe like i said in february this new york times article was released um the article is called ryan adams dangled success women's uh women uh women say they paid a price uh so if you want to i don't know if you haven't read it or if you haven't heard about it if you want to maybe pause me and go back and and read over it before we discuss this and then you'll have a better understanding of what i'm talking about um that would be totally fine and, uh, yeah, in reference to Mandy, this article describes a scenario in which Ryan essentially blocked Mandy from pursuing her music career during this very pivotal time in her life where she was 
sort of transitioning and she had picked up some momentum and people were sort of respecting her as an actual artist, which is what she's always wanted since she was a little girl. Um, you know, thrusting her hips to the song Candy. You know, she finally had gotten the respect she was looking for and he kind of pulled the rug from underneath her. So, since we've talked about Mandy before um, on this podcast, I figured we could start with Ryan. Um, Again, some of you, I'm listening to this, I know, like, this was probably a really big heartbreak for you and you loved Ryan Adams and to find out that he's not only a uh an abuser but he's also a pedophile it's gotta be it's gotta be tough you know what i mean um it's hard finding out that your faves are pedophiles but i i really truthfully feel like it was it this is gonna continue to keep happening because the music industry as mentioned in that new york times article has been sort of um unscathed by the me too movement in a sense it's, it's really mostly been prolific actors and television stars um musicians haven't really paid the price yet and i think that that's because there's this um this sort of i don't know this unspoken understanding amongst people that like you know rock stars are rock stars and you know groupies are groupies and they hook up with young girls of course because they're rock stars and things are excused because they're musicians um and i think that I don't know, I think within the next year or so, like, we'll see a shift in that. And maybe this Ryan Adams story is the first, uh, like, sort of like the Harvey Weinstein moment uh, for the music industry, where this, the first sort of domino to be pushed down, and then we'll slowly start seeing people coming out and talking about their experiences and stuff. But, like I said, we're going to go ahead and start with Ryan, which I'm, I gotta be honest, I'm not excited about, but this is, we have to do what we have to do. Um, now, Ryan Adams, who grew up, he grew up in North Carolina. Um, he had a pretty tumultuous childhood. He described it himself as dysfunctional. Uh, his sister, his brother, and his mom, um, at a really young age, actually became homeless after his parents divorced uh, when he was a kid. And at that point, he went and lived with his grandparents, who essentially raised him. And his grandparents pretty much taught him everything that he knew about pop culture, about poetry, music, books, film, television, um, they exposed him to artists that he ironically would end up, you know, releasing work with or, you know, working for, producing music for them. Um, he dropped out of Jacksonville High School at 16 and joined a couple of short-lived bands. A very sort of cliche coming-of-age story for a rock star. Um, you know, he was in a band called Black Label, uh, which he left in 1991 for a punk band called the Patty Duke Syndrome, and they split in 94. I read an um, an, inter- uh, an article that was about him from The Guardian that said, uh, or it was a quote where he said, I was a loner with low self-esteem who dropped out of school. No different from a lot of people, he shrugs. If you don't have an outlet, you become a criminal or a misanthropic. The outlet arrived when he heard the Smith's compilation album, uh, Hateful, of, uh, Hateful of Hollow. Um, he said, to this day, the emotion I feel when I hear this album is indescribable. Then in 1984, he formed uh, Whiskey Town, which, again, if you're a Ryan Adams fan, I'm 99% positive you know who Whiskey Town is. Um, and he explained to the, the members of the band that he had basically been in this punk rock group for a while and it was hard for him to sing the music. It was hard on his throat. He loved punk rock music, but he wasn't able to perform it long term, and he wanted to do something different. Um, 
and at the time he was very heavily influenced by uh, these sort of alternative country artists he was really into Graham Parsons um, and that was where he wanted to kind of go artistically and when they released their debut album Faithless Street in 1995 they became sort of the face of this alt-country movement in the early 90s Um, the album was adored by music critics and it became the catalyst for the for obviously for like record labels to start reaching out like it didn't really take much time at all for ryan adams to pick up steam in the music industry like as soon as he kind of made his debut people were sort of vying for his attention to either work with him or to sign him or to perform with him or whatever um a label called outpost records reached out to him Um, At the time, that was a label owned by Geffen Records, and in 1997, they released their first major label release, Stranger's Almanac, and uh, this was really what established Ryan Adams as, you know, a respected singer-songwriter, and an artist that you would consider to be, um, in my opinion, from what I've read and from what I've heard, sort of genreless. You know what I mean? Ryan Adams is technically somebody who, like, you couldn't really put into a genre like he he had just come from a punk band and was now performing like this alternative country rock music um and even in that like the music itself was still sort of like folky and sort of indie rock and very like hipstery pre-hipster movement he sort of bounces in between these genres and styles like not only within a song but within an album um and that was something that he kind of fine-tuned and became known for for the rest of his career and in the late 90s a merger between universal and polygram records took place which somehow resulted in outpost records closing which meant um this band's follow-up album was placed on hold and it was stuck in limbo um for a few years until 2001 and by that time the band had already broken up now in september of the year 2000 ryan released his first solo album heartbreaker and he actually said in an interview once that the album's title was inspired by mariah carey uh his manager called him on the phone and was like look the label needs a title for this album they want to release it as soon as possible you have to give me a title in 15 seconds and he looked over to his right and he saw a mariah carey poster in whatever room he was in and it was mariah wearing her heartbreaker uh tank top and he was like let's just name it heartbreaker so it literally means nothing it it literally came from mariah carey's shirt um But, like, by this time, like, Ryan was in this weird sort of sweet spot where critics loved him and the music he released was really gushed over by critics and by music publications and magazines and, you know, Rolling Stone and whatever. But he didn't sell, like, an obscene amount of uh, copies of his album. He wasn't, like, some big, you know, juggernaut when it came to record sales. Um, and he, their live performances, well, his live performances as a solo artist were actually, um, they were kind of poorly received. Like, in other words, up to this point, he was sort of like a music, a music industry darling. But the people going out and buying his music and seeing him perform and, like, standing in line at fucking FYE or whatever, they weren't um, feeling it as, as intensely as uh, as one would think. But now these albums, especially his first couple solo albums, have gone on to become 
uh, I mean, they're kind of iconic. I mean, not I, I again. I Brian Adams is a really big blind spot for me, but from what I've read, these two albums are really prolific and are a really big deal and uh, really kind of changed the direction that music was going during this time. There was a lot of people trying to kind of copy his sound, and he became a really prolific uh, figure in the music industry. He ended up releasing a follow-up album, uh, Gold, that was really, um, this is what introduced him to a mainstream audience, and this is where he, you sort of see the record sales pick up, and people become a lot more fanatical about Ryan, not just within the industry, but, like, actually, you know, Deborah who goes to the mall to pick up, like, a blazer from Eddie Bauer or whatever, like, Deborah ended up falling in love with the Gold album, um, and not only was the album well received, but the music video for his first single, New York, New York, featured Ryan performing in front of the New York City skyline. And ironically, the video just so happened to come out four days prior to September 11th, which meant MTV and VH1 heavily rotated this song in this music video. I don't know if you guys remember when September 11th happened, any song especially a song that had come out recently, like any music video or song that had come out uh, within the year that was sort of um, patriotic or hopeful in any way, just got so much airplay. And then songs like Loverboy (laughs) by Mariah Carey that were like frivolous pop songs got completely ignored. But there were these artists like Ryan who just sort of fell into the lap of September 11th and became these, like, hopeful figures, even though they didn't mean it and had no obviously had no idea that was going to happen. Um, But this music video became, like, a a, a big pillar of, of hope for people during this time. It was also during this time that Ryan became a full-fledged, like, mainstream artist. You know, like, not only in the sense that he was being, you know, being played and releasing music for MTV, but he had also kind of unintentionally become sort of an industry puppet. And, uh, you know, now that he's, like, this profitable, he has, like, all these record executives telling him what to do, and all these people telling him what his next move should be and what his next sound should sound like or whatever, what his next album should be. Who, she, who he should be catering to, the people who are buying his records. It became like a whole thing. He became like an industry. Uh, the label ended up blocking him from having any sort of creative involvement in what would be released as his next single. They decided it would be best to pick a handful of songs that were previously deemed either too sad or not worthy of a release and put them on his next album. And, like, not to skip too far ahead, because we literally just got into him, but I just want to say really quickly that, like, there's a lot... I find a lot of irony in the fact that somebody like Ryan Adams, who is somebody who takes himself extremely serious, like, he... Ryan Adams sees nothing funny about Ryan Adams, um... And he's somebody that, you know, the public takes so serious. He's this prolific, iconic, musical genius who, you know, changed the music industry in the 90s. You know, he later went on to tell Mandy Moore when they were dating that she wasn't a real artist. And, um, because she couldn't play an instrument. And it's like, stories like this really put into perspective. They put it into perspective for me, honestly. 
Because it's like, here's the thing. Any artist releasing mainstream music being played on MTV is, in some form, an industry puppet. They're all being styled. They're all being handled by handlers. They all have hundreds of people making decisions for them. Ryan Adams wasn't even allowed to choose the songs on his follow-up solo album. But he's considered to be this, like, super cool, like, amazing artist who played with Billy Nelson. And it's like, yeah, well, he also didn't even get to choose his songs. You know what I mean? So it's like, by the way, I'm talking to my straight audience. Straights. Wake up. I listen up cuz this I'm talking I'm I'm attacking you right now. Um plucking a guitar does that make you any more or any less of an artist in comparison to somebody who sings pop music? You know what I mean? Like this man Mandy Moore is an incredibly talented artist, but she went more than half her life thinking she wasn't because she was told by men like this who pluck a guitar that she's not. And it's like neither is he. He was in a Gap commercial. And he had a, a room full of executives telling him what his next song would be. He's no different than Samantha Mumba. <laughs> There's no difference. I'm sorry. Um, but Ryan was, though, in fact, as I've said many times, a very mainstream artist. He, as I just said, was in a Gap commercial with Willie Nelson. He performed on um, CMT Crossroads with Elton John. And Elton John said in the episode, this is like a really big deal for Ryan Adams fans, that... Uh, Elton's um, entire album, the uh, Songs from the West Coast album, uh, was entirely inspired by Ryan Adams, and that just so happened to be Elton's um, best performing album, the one that he kind of stole Ryan's sound openly. Um, And again, by the way, the same thing happened to him twice. He recorded an entire album, and the label told him it wasn't radio-friendly enough, so he scraped the entire thing, and recorded an entirely different album with more of a pop influence. And, uh, you know, an interesting thing about Ryan was that he would, and I believe he still does this, he would write at least five to ten songs per day. Like, he's just like this songwriting maniac. He can whip up a song in like three minutes. And um, so like he literally writes hundreds of songs per month. Um, to the point that when he performs sometimes on stage, like he'll bring up his notebook and he'll sort of shift through the pages and randomly pick a song that he's maybe never done or that isn't finished or that he's like tinkering with lyrics on and he'll test it out to the audience kind of like a a person would test out like stand-up um and people who go to his shows know that there's a chance that they'll get this like raw experience of listening to a single that you maybe won't hear for another five years but he's like testing it out on the audience Um, And again, this is why the label kind of took advantage of him in the sense that that they knew if we don't like his music, he has at least 500 other songs in his back pocket. And he did. And they would tell him all the time, we don't like this album. Get rid of the entire thing. He would scrape or scrap 14 songs and then by the end of the afternoon have 30 more and be like, how about this? Like the man just literally wrote songs all day, every single day. And I've got to be honest, again, it, it kind of makes me happy to hear things like that. It makes me feel validated. You know what I mean? That's something that you expect from 3LW, not Ryan Adams. And it makes me feel like, what's the old adage? We're all born naked and the rest is drag. 
<laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the old adage? Um, and I do think maybe it's because I'm not a Ryan Adams fan that I'm not like highlighting just how famous this man was and how successful he was. Um, in 2001, The Guardian actually did an interview with him that I quoted earlier where they referred to him as the new Graham Parsons, which is very ironic given that's who he um, was influenced by when he debuted. And, uh, you know, they had people like Willie Nelson and Elton John and Steve Earle all just kind of like publicly licking his butthole, you know what I mean? And really, he was really considered to be the face of this new music genre and the face of a music generation. Like, he was just such a huge deal, especially during this time. Um, Now, this is where things get fun for me. During the mid-2000s, things take a turn. Before this, Ryan Adams was this sort of media darling. Um, He didn't really interview a lot. He was very sort of elusive and, you know, private and kind of weird. And the more famous he became, the more in demand it became for him to be interviewed and speak publicly. And he went from being this sort of golden boy to this bratty, drunk tyrant, really. And uh, his media persona really dissolved pretty quickly. You know, he treated interviewers really terribly. Um, He would evade questions about his life. And he became increasingly really difficult to work with. Um, News started to leak that his label didn't want to work with him anymore. And he did an interview with this guy named Ian Watson, who was a London-based pop culture journalist in 2004, that went... I guess sort of early 2000s internet viral. Um, the opening line of the interview was literally, he answers the phone like a like a petulant teenager. Another day, another interview to sulk his way through. Um, he told Ian about this conspiracy that he had worked up in his mind where like, he felt like people at Rolling Stone were out to get him. They wanted him to fail, and Rolling Stone, the publication, did not want him to be successful. And they were purposely spreading rumors about him that weren't true to media outlets to derail his career. And this is the shit that I'm talking about. It couldn't possibly be that he is just, in fact, difficult, or that he's treating people poorly, or that some of the people who feel some type of way about him um, are valid. Nope, it's that Rolling Stone, there's a conspiracy, you see. Uh, it's, it's, it's that Rolling Stone, the publication, is out to get him. They want they want to see him fail, like an old-timey soap opera. It's like the bold and the beautiful. They want to see uh, his house fall and crumble to the ground. Um, and just to put some perspective on how strained Ryan's relationship was with the music industry since he had started... Um, I pulled this kind of long quote, but it says, um, if you want to know the dirty fucking secret that is my stupid labels trick, I'm a musician, so I'm paid per album. Well, they found out a way to not pay me for any record but one. They're saying that Demolition was a rarities compilation and not a real album, so I never got paid for it. Gold was supposed to be a double album, but they took the last five songs and made it a bonus disc and put it on the first 150,000 copies. They fucked over my fans making them pay extra for a record I wanted to be a double album. They counted that as one record. They won't count Love as Hell now because they say that it's two EPs and not a proper record. I'm on a six-record contract that I've already handed I've already handed in four other albums that they haven't released. They haven't paid me for anything and the only money I'm making is off playing live shows. 
And that entire interview, if you want to go back and find it, just Google Ryan Ryan Adams Guardian. It's fucking wacky bananas, batshit buffoonery craziness. Like truly, it is insanity. Boots the house down, mama. Um, he can't focus on anything. The interviewer says he gets sidetracked and he's like looking around the room and just being really disrespectful. Um, speaking to other people in the middle of like saying something to the interviewer. Uh, he starts berating the interviewer about whether or not he likes the record. At one point, Parker Posey, who at the time was not only dating him, but was written in the album as an executive producer. Uh, like, what? Uh, she takes the phone and has a full-fledged conversation with Ryan while she's holding the phone, completely ignoring the interviewer. Uh, Ryan had basically... I mean, you could hear him in the background talking to her about, like, mundane shit. While this guy is, like, conducting an interview. Um, and Ryan had basically sank himself into a depression. He became a regular at every dimly lit dive bar in every city he traveled to. And he started using drugs to cope. Um, I'm just going to read a little bit from that interview. Um from the guardian it says because i'd been a lonely person all my life i'd go to these places in the evening i liked the warmth of the environment and everyone who had who had problems they all just disappeared i never drank during the day or when i moved or when i mowed the lawn but i couldn't drink unless i found cocaine which is actually really sad not huge quantities i wasn't living scarface but you would do a bump on the edge of your hand and sit there and tell stories you guys i hate to cut you off but at this point i think you know the drill you've got to be a patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode so go to patreon.com slash eb psychos at that point you will uh be asked to donate and then when you donate at this level you'll get this podcast you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week you'll get liz bentley's feathers in my hair which is the teen mom podcast um you'll get me and molly's uh britney and kevin chaotic special you'll get all the stuff that molly does exclusively through patreon it's well worth it. And also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com. It'll take you straight to it. And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.